Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We got a full studio this evening, one of which is a heralded champ out on a tour that we will get into, I'm sure. But uh, guys, welcome back. We got a full crew, Isaiah, Dante, myself, Dalton. Boys, we got a lot to cover this week. You ready for it? Yeah, let's get into it. Yes, sir. I like it. I like it. Well, guys, we're going to dive right into uh, what I think we might have forecasted, Dante, in this last podcast. But uh, Phil the Thrill made his debut on the senior tour, and it was nothing short of non-disappointing. It was actually thrilling per usual vintage Phil. I want to talk about it. What do, you, what, do you guys, what do you guys make of all this? I mean, he got out to an early lead and just never looked back. Uh, he just, yeah, pedal to the metal, but one of, I don't know. It was, it was amazing to see. And I just think, like you said, we were talking earlier, I think his mind just was free. It was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go out, hang with some of the greats, hang out with the guys that, you know, kind of probably made him feel like he was back in the early nineties when he was stepping on tour, huh. you know, this note. He's not the the guy that everybody looks up to. He's kind of technically a no-name who's this guy, even though he was the name this week. But besides the point, probably in his mind, he just says, I'm a nobody. You know, this isn't my tour. I'm trying to make a new face for myself and just went out and proved what he can do. I mean, and Isaiah, I think you can maybe even relate to this because the tour you stepped on the last few weeks was something new to you. It was something you hadn't seen a lot of in the past. And, you know, I think it's perfect to relate the two because you stepped out there and won very early in in your looks on this tour. But, like, mm-hmm. what's it like to step out there in a new environment, kind of, you know, a fresh face, not a lot of new, you know, not a lot of old similar faces that you're seeing time and time again and a fresh chance to really make your mark on a tour. What's that feel like? I'd say just based on the first impression, I played another event this past weekend, also on the same tour. Uh, the biggest thing I've noticed is just the attitudes that the guys carry. It's, it's more a fun centric environment. Um, guys aren't as concerned about, you know, making a hundred K that week or even 20 K just making the cut just to keep their card in order to survive, pay the bills, put food on the table, keep their apartment, whatever, yada, yada. It's not uh it's not an environment where guys make it out like they have literally everything riding on the line. It's just, uh, I'd say it boils down to the roots of the game. It's more so about going out, having fun, playing the game as it was meant to be. Um, you hang out with some new people, meet some new faces. Um, you have a good time in, in that regard. Um, and also just playing little one-day events is very nice as well. So I'm sure for Phil, stepping into a, a new tour, um, seeing some familiar faces of old and being in a place where he's playing some shorter tracks, um, he's already done just about everything you can do on the golf course except win a U.S. Open, which is okay. That's, that's probably coming in the future. Um, but to go out there, play a shorter track, hit long bombs again, uh, shoot low scores on shorter tracks is probably – uh, the best place for him right now. He seems happier. So, well, I mean, you got into a lot there, which is like really what I want to, you know, unpack because there's a lot of cool things that you talked about there. And I think one of the main things was that 
the senior tour is so different from the PGA tour where you're in his case playing for FedEx cup points in which he didn't make it to, you know, the next round you're, you're playing for your livelihood. You're paying for a lot bigger paychecks and there's a lot more riding on the line in the PGA tour event. I feel like when you take a step back into that senior tour environment, the guys aren't playing for their livelihoods at that point. The guys are just pretty much playing for, you know, the sake of, well, Hey, I'm good enough to still play at, at a, you know, professional level. Um, And then, you know, at that point, it's got to lighten the load on him mentally to say, you know what, I'm just out here to enjoy a round of golf with me and my caddy and some, you know, buds of mine that are probably 10, 15 years older than me because the majority of those guys aren't right at 50 years old. They're 55, 60, 65 you know, we can't all be Bernhard Langer and be 75 and still kicking everybody's ass, but they're, they're much older than what Phil Mickelson is right at 50 right now. Mm. That, and you got to think about the amount of information that's floating around on that tour. I mean, you're talking about guys that have made careers out of this 40, 50 years, whatever it is. They put so much time and energy into perfecting this craft. I mean, just to be able to sit out there on the range and listen to those guys talk, see what they're working on be able to take some notes uh, just taking your notebook along for the day. I mean, there's got to be so much information that you can glean from just an afternoon range session with those guys. Dante, how'd you say it? Phil went from what to what going to from the PGA tour to the senior tour? Oh, yeah. He went from a mentor to a mentee. <laughs> yeah. He, he went back to it. He's the young guy looking for uh, inspiration again, which yeah. I mean, he probably did. I mean, I know he's got a lot of experience there out on tour, but you never know. He probably could have gone to some of the guys that he looked up to and utilized as mentors when he came onto the scene, when he first stepped onto the PGA tour. And these are the guys he was going up against. So it probably brought him back to some roots to really bring out what his capabilities are. I know he's been, I mean, let's face it. Phil's in, in one of the greatest, uh, shapes possibly i mean out of all the years he's like i think the healthiest he's he's been he's like um on a on a, like a looks wise he just looks like he's added some like more definition and muscle to himself so i think health wise he's in the best and it, and if you go back to the history he's never really even sat out or had some type of issues with his health um, I mean, how many, like how many 50 year olds, just... how many 50 year olds do you say, do you hear say I'm the longest I've ever been? None. And then, and they actually showed a side-by-side picture of his debut, his first pro debut to his P, uh, champ, PG, PGA champions tour debut. His swing is longer. Mm. Than More it flexibility was in that swing, yeah. huh? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like way past parallel. And then, I guess, what was it, 92 he came on the scene or whatever the picture was from? I mean, it was mm. at parallel. Yep. So it just shows he's getting more turn. He's just getting more every. He's just getting everything out of it. Well, mm. And I want to talk about, too, because people looked at this and said, okay, it's a shorter course, but it's a senior tour. It's a bunch of pushovers, right? Chip I want to say – I want to say called it. I want to say wrong because I'm going to go through some, some of the names here. There's some absolute Hall of Famers in the field that Phil Mickelson beat. Rocco Mediate, Steve mm-hmm. Stricker, KJ Choi, you got Ernie Els, David Toms, Mike Weir, past Masters champion, Mark Kalkovecchia, Retief Goosen, Billy Mayfair, Chris DeMarco, Bernhard Langer. That's just in the top 20, let alone you go outside of that. So, I mean, in the top 20, you're talking about absolute classic Hall of Famers that have put together some of the best careers out there 
So he he didn't just beat, you know, your run of the mill, you know, head pros or your run of the mill, you know, pros that are just playing out there on the circuit for fun. He beat some hall of famers in that realm too. So that. And another thing is these guys can play, you know, Mm. and and one, that's the coolest thing about golf is that, you know, you say you play football, basketball, baseball, or whatever, you hit a certain age, it's time to retire. You don't have to really retire. Everything You can still hang and still compete. You can still play golf. Mm. And that's like one of the greatest things about the sport. But another thing about, I mean, so these guys are in between 50 and 70 years old, you know, most, there's not a lot of people out there that can still walk. So they play 54 holes, 54 holes of some intense competition mentally and physically. And one of the coolest things that I thought was I decided I couldn't find it like an actual yardage. So I just added up the yardage from the first day that they played the first round. Mm -hmm. They played at 7,036 yards. Mm. That's still some decent length. And especially some of those guys out there that are, you know, I guess you can say old per se are still Mm -hmm. getting it, getting after it and getting it out there. So Mm. if people want to kind of yell and say the PGA tour champions is a chip and putt, I I would, I'd look at the numbers first, because I mean, if, if the U S opens 74, I mean, if there's, if the PJ is playing 72 to like 7,500 yards and they just played a a course that was 7,000 yards, you're looking at a 200 to 400 yard difference, which Mm. Dalton and I were talking about it earlier. And he goes, it's maybe a club difference from an eight iron to a seven iron. Yeah. I mean, over over 18 holes, you're making up 400 yards, you know, 30 yards here, 40 yards there. It's not the definition of like, all right, you're going from 135-yard par five to a 298 par or something like that. It's not Mm -hmm. something that drastic. And like when you're looking at that, Dante, the longest TPC Boston, which was the Northern Trust Open last week, the longest TPC Boston could possibly play was 72-16. So, I mean, you're only looking there at like 180, 190 yard difference between what the pros are playing on the PGA tour and what these guys are playing at the champions tour. So especially when you're, when you're breaking it down to, you know, particular tournaments held within the same realm of like, you know, same status, they weren't majors, they weren't, you know, PGA championships or anything of that, you know, they weren't club or not club championships they, they weren't, weren't um, they weren't tournaments that set you up for the hardest test right they were i felt like similar style events they aren't far off no and that's what brings one of my biggest questions about phil is what did he do different than if he was playing with you know the guys on the pga if you want to look at a on a distance standpoint so it wasn't as if he was going from a 7400 yards uh, yard course to play in hmm. a 6,800 yard course where it's that drastic of a change. I mean, it really wasn't much of a change. So did he kind of lay off of trying to hit bombs all day and just find the, the fairway finder or what? Like that's, I mean, I, I, I was actually kind of shocked when I saw my phone on Monday pop up that he shot 10 under and I said, <laughs> wait a second, what's going on? And then realize that they were playing a Monday through Wednesday event. So I didn't really catch any of it, but I don't know about you guys. I mean, what I want to, I want to touch on what you just said there. I think a Monday through Wednesday event, how casual does that have to feel as a Monday through Wednesday event? When you, a, you're not probably get, you're not getting much TV coverage. And if you are, it's only on the golf channel. B there's already no fans anywhere anyway. So that really didn't have an effect on it, but C 
you got to know a Monday through Wednesday, that's just overall casual compared to a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, especially a four day event too. You know, so you're looking at the entire setup. I think it's, I think it's just an absolute litany of things that came together and why Phil played so well. And I think it starts at the setup. I think the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was just so different. So out of, the huge so out of the norm for him that it just probably lightened him up. It probably felt like a bunch of practice rounds in all honesty, Mm -hmm. uh, especially that first round where he felt like he could just let it fly a little freer. And then I just think Charles Schwab series sets up so much different than a PGA tour event. So I think it's a lot of those kind of scenario built in, you know, aspects of everything. That's like, it was more the scenario than actually Phil changing his game. Cause I don't think he changed much to shoot what he did. I just think the scenarios kind of set him up to be more relaxed and well, shoot a better number. He did say he'll play the champions tour when he stops hitting bombs. So, I mean, did he stop hitting bombs? Cause he's teed it up. I don't know. We can ask Phil that one, but I mean, no, that I think- was, that was one thing I didn't see stats on how his driving <laughs> distance was. And usually if they give you stats, it means he's bombing it. So I, I think there might be a reason why they hid some stats out there. I don't think Phil was hitting his usual bombs like he, uh, he, he proclaims to have been hitting this past year. No. And historically, if you look back in, through those periods when he was trying to hit bombs and trying to hit it further, the harder he would swing, the more trees he'd find himself in, which, I mean, it's given us a lot of really cool um, layup shots around the green, which led to some unbelievable flop shots to you know fill the throw flop whatever you want to call it but um i think just a culmination of events i don't think he was trying to hit bombs this week and overall when you reach that point i mean you're you're kind of reaching the end of the road of the pga career as it were there's no fans there's not much tv coverage i mean at that point you just got to be enjoying a walk in the park and saying look my career is it's coming to a close let me you know not turn this into work as it has been for the last 25 years. Let's just get back to the roots of just hanging out with these guys and playing a game and enjoying a walk in the sunshine. I mean, yeah. So it was cool to me too, to look at the stats from just people who've debuted and won in the past. There's actually 20 previous players who have stepped from the PGA to the champions tour and won in their debut. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I think, I just think there's something to be said about the atmosphere around, you know, how relaxing it must be to step into a senior tour event, knowing most of these guys that step in and debut and make a big deal out of debuting um, have probably had illustrious PGA tour careers in the past as well. Um, And it's just one of those things now too, where you got to look forward from here. Does this give Phil the mojo? Does this give Phil the boost, the bump, the the kind of, you know, extra push to go contend at Wingfoot for a U.S. Open and complete that career Grand Slam? Because I think that's worth a conversation. I think it does. I mean, if you're going to go out and win a debut tournament, you know, I mean, it's still a PGA tournament. I mean, it's still, you know, I mean, this is – stats are going on the board. You won, you won money. I think that's going to go right to his head in a, in a positive way to saying like, I just went out and debuted on the champions tour and won against uh-huh. some of the greatest players that I grew up playing against. Now when was like, his last win too. When was his last win before this? Oh, it came in 2018. I believe it was, it was over two years ago. Oh, yeah. Didn't he win? Yeah, a while. Did, didn't he win that one in Mexico? Yeah. 
Mm, la- yeah, his last win right. was in Mexico. And, and that's what I want to get to, too. There's only been two other players in the history of golf since the Champions Tour has been around that have gone from winning on the Champions Tour and going back to a PGA Tour-sanctioned event and winning. And that's Fred Funk and Craig Statler. Mm. So it's tough to do. And, and you know, I, I think now that he's officially committed to making this step on the Senior Tour, how much are we even going to see – Phil Mickelson back on the PGA tour. Like, is this going to just be his fallback plan? If he doesn't make the FedEx cup every year, is this what we're going to see for the next like four to five years out of Phil and still see a PGA tour schedule out of Phil? Or are we just going to see him make the full commitment and say, you know what? I just don't got it to hang with these young guns anymore. And I'm just going to go win nine times a year on the senior tour. Like which, which path do you guys see Phil kind of, kind of riding down for the next five to seven years? I think he's going to go the tiger route and just focus on one tournament, and mm-hmm. that's the U.S. Open. As Tiger's just focusing on Masters and Green Jackets, you know, because Tiger can get three three separate um, – what the hell is the word? Records. Mm-hmm. He can break three records just by continuously winning the Masters. So that's, that's his focus. And Phil wants that career Grand Slam, so he's going to do whatever he can to prep – for the U.S. Open, so I see, I can see him bouncing back and forth. Whatever he can get his, you know, step foot on the play, mm-hmm. he's gonna take that route. Yeah, I, I actually am so on board with that take. I, I think it's not even worth discussing any other options because I think at this point in his career, he's 50 years old. Um, he's not gonna go, you know, put on. I, I don't think anyway. He's gonna go put on a show like he did with that battle with Henrik Stenson down the last 18 at a British Open. I don't think he's got that in him anymore. Um, I just think that the British Open doesn't set up for Phil Mickelson golf, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially with that, as erratic as he's been with that driver. Um, but what it does set up for is for U.S. Open golf. He's got the short game to contend at a U.S. Open venue that a lot of people get exploited for not having good short games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's where he picks up some strokes on a lot of the field where some guys struggle. And I think it's, it, it only makes sense where it's just that big red flag on Phil's career having not closed a U.S. Open. He wants to do that before it's too late. And he should. And if it, it would be in his best interest to just go ahead and secure the membership at Wingfoot and just live out at that place every day until the last week of the event and, you know, mix in some champions tour events, some regular season events and just prepare for it. I mean, I don't know if Wingfoot's got like a, like a, you know, Butler cabin esque or a, maybe a, you know, upstairs dorm or something. But if, if it, if it's not home of Phil Mickelson over the next few weeks leading up mm. to the U S open, I'd be highly shocked. Uh, that guy's going to obviously, I think do whatever it takes to, to contend and put himself, especially after this win where he's carrying all this confidence, he's going to put himself in the best scenario possible to go out there to wing foot and win. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see how it shapes up. Um, and, and, you know, if it ends up coming down on Sunday and Phil Mickelson's got a shot at the lead, whether it's within two or he's got the lead, um, you best believe the entire golf world, at least our generation and our dad's generations, are sitting down and being glued to that TV because it's going to have the implications that Tiger's master win did last year. Um, it's just one of those storied possible career events that just people aren't going to be able to look away from. So I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to uh, hopefully just see Phil Mickelson contend in a major one more time. Cause that's, that's what the golf world needs. And I, and I'm excited to uh, at least go down that path. Mm. Absolutely. 
for sure. Can't wait. I'm pumped. But speaking of another lefty who found the winner's circle, and we got to dive into this, Isaiah, um, you found the winner's circle. We briefed on a little earlier, but I want to hear all about it. I want to hear, you know, what tour it was on. Obviously, let us know about that. And then just like what it was like to uh, finally put the game back in some winning, uh, some winning hands. Yeah. So, I mean, for those of you that don't know, the last six months I've been working at a, uh, at a golf course doing the regular nine to five thing. And sometimes even later and earlier than that, um, consumed a lot of time, um, coming off of 2019, I played a lot of good golf, um, played in some corn fairy events, played, you know, G pro, some other mini tour events. Um, the game was in a good place, but mentally my head was still not where it needed to be. So, uh, call it what you want and with the timing of COVID and everything else it's not like there was any golf going on for me anyway so I took six months worked as a you know a teaching pro and an assistant at a course and uh, towards the end of that with COVID um, unfortunately I did lose my position there which is okay because now I'm back to playing golf and doing something that I love even more than that um, tours are back into full swing so there's the coastal players tour coastal mountain tour um, G pro and then obviously there's the corn ferry as well um, given the cost effectiveness of the mountain tour, as well as the players tour, um, I decided that'd be a great route for me. It's little one day events, um, typically, uh, just 18 holes you show up, you play with anywhere from 20 to a hundred guys, depending on how many people show up, whether, you know, depending of course, um, at the one I had, I was fortunate enough to win. There was, I think it was a total of 25 guys signed up. So not huge, not small, somewhere in the middle. Um, we played in around three and a half hours. We played uh, actually the course that used to host the Wyndham Championship back in the 80s and 90s. So that was pretty cool. They had a great uh, layout at the course. Uh, the name of it is uh, slipping my mind at the moment. Um, never, oh, I've never really been good with the names of courses and remembering them. Um, for me, when I enter events and stuff, it's just a, a process of fairways and greens and making birdies for me. So I don't think too much about that, but, uh, we played in a Stableford format. For those of you that don't know, you go and you play, uh, obviously you join up with your group, you play, um, pars were worth two points that day. Bogies were zero, uh, double or higher was minus two. Uh, birdies were four and then eagle and better of course was minus five or plus five points rather so i uh went out and played well hit a lot of good shots i was fortunate to only have one bogey on the day i made uh six birdies so i finished at a 67 which was 46 points and was fortunate to take a uh trophy home with me uh, i've been working real hard in the past few weeks been practicing out of uh, liberty university um, I was fortunate enough to pick up a membership at a course called Ivy Hill, which is owned by Runkin Pratt um, here in Forest, Virginia. It's a good little track. It's around 7,100 yards from the tips. Uh, certainly nothing special, um, but it does have a good layout and allows me to see some shots and work on my game and improve uh, gradually day to day and, of course, get in shape by walking the place. Um, still, of course, working out and you know, like I said, just working hard every day, looking forward to the next one. I played another one down in uh, Greensboro, or not Greensboro, it was um, Greenwood, South Carolina, which is probably about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from Athens, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to take a trip down there and play at Greenwood Country Club. Uh, it's a real nice place. Um, it's kind of out in the middle of nothing, if we're honest, which is kind of cool. You find those hole-in-the-wall country clubs. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth down the holes, um, not too much trouble out there. 
Um, fairways and greens were in good shape, very smooth. They just redone them to Champion or uh, Tiff Eagle Bermuda, one of the two in the past five years. So they rolled really well, still a little bit firm. Um, and the guys seemed to struggle a little bit with the, the speed they were running, but we all do from time to time as we're still working and figuring out life. So we got down there, played well, had two doubles on the day and uh, shot even par. So I uh, turned it even, quickly made two doubles on the backside and was able to fight back in the remainder of the holes on 13 through 18 to get it back to even par. So all in all, it was a good day. I saw a lot of improvements. Um, been working very hard, like I said, on everything. And I'm excited to see what the rest of the year holds. Yeah, man, me too. Because, and it's just funny. I want to just plug this real quick too. Um, I saw on that, on the Stableford event that you ended up winning, um, someone who we're very familiar with within the below average golf tour um, mm -hmm. that plays out of, you know, the, the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Zane Lewis was, mm -hmm. uh, was in the event, ended up taking third. So I just thought, you know, really cool to see that kind of connection and, and you guys crossing paths. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you guys are good friends or if you guys have crossed paths personally, but to see his name on the same leaderboard was pretty cool. And to know that, mm -hmm. you know, we've crossed paths with those guys and, and within that bet below average golf tour as well. And, uh, you know, pretty neat to see you guys, you know, neck and neck on the mm. same leaderboard. That was crazy. Cause I was, uh, I was actually hitting balls on the range and I hear a voice behind me. Normally I, I warm up with headphones in just to drown out everything going on to get in my own little bubble. Um, but I heard a voice behind me and he's like, Hey, I got to ask you a question. So I pulled my earbud out. I was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, is that a Buka bell? I was like, yeah, it is actually. He's like, that's crazy. I wear them too. Do you, uh, do you work with, obviously, the, you know, the Buka Belts company? I said, yeah, they were, you know, nice enough to hook me up with some belts, and I've been wearing them ever since. I love them. He's like, yeah, me too. They're great. It's awesome to meet you. So we struck up a conversation, and we've been in touch since that event. So it was awesome to meet him. We talked a little bit about the bag tour, and he spoke very highly of it. The people that, you know, are running the show there says they're great people, and they're doing a great job. And then, obviously, the you know, the setup with sponsorships and how that whole deal works. He said, it's just a really awesome concept and he's very thankful that they've done it. So maybe in the future we can get him to come on the show, but he played well there as well. I think he finished, uh, I think he finished in second. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, was, it was right, right behind you guys. It was just cool to see that. I was like, man, not only like, you know, our worlds colliding, but just in the same event, these guys are kind of competing with each other and very closely competing. Um, mm -hmm. So it was cool to see that. And, and I'm, you know, it's, it's really cool to see that you have, you and Zane have struck up conversations and, and to kind of close that gap, that virtual gap we've all been seeing over the last, you know, bunch of months with COVID and everything as, as events start to come back and, you know, we're all starting to get back into the swing of things, but uh, no, man, it's awesome. I'm excited to see uh, how the events go for you here the rest of the rest of the summer, whatever's left of it, you know, and then into the fall. Um, just, just pumped for it, man. Uh, excited to see your success and, you know, just the overall growth of, of all these tournaments being back is, is just overall an exciting time for golf. Yeah. It's good to get out of the whole, uh, the lockdown phase. It's, it's just been brutal for everybody. I know uh, some good friends of mine have struggled much more greatly than uh, what we have. So it's, uh, it's an unfortunate circumstance, but you know, it's, it's going to go away here in the, the future as we push towards, you know, opening the country and what have you, you know, I want to be healthy and all that. 
I want to totally agree with you there, man. I, we got a, we got a pretty neat email. Um, we're in a, we're in a small, you know, community within the golf industry that gets a lot of data thrown their way being a, a golf podcast. And, um, uh, we got an awesome email that I think just speaks so highly of where the golf game's at individually, but I think where we're starting to turn as a country back into getting back into, you know, a little bit of what they call consumerism. We're starting to get back into buying things, the money starting to flow again, which is a good spot for our economy. Um, we got an awesome email that said the US, U.S. golf market, just the U.S., not the world, just the United States golf market, enjoyed the best monthly equipment sales ever since they started tracking it. They've been tracking it since the late 90s, I, I believe is what they said. But it only rivaled summers of 2006 and 2007. The U.S. golf market sold over $388.5 million worth of merchandise. That includes balls, clubs, footwear, gloves, golf bags, the gamut, just in the month of July in 2020. So I think it speaks to where the game of golf's at as a whole. I think it's doing phenomenally in the United States. And obviously just being here in July, um, I'm excited to see August reports because I think it can only keep growing from July to August as things open back up selectively and golf remains one of those things that is the only thing that is open and outdoors to do that passes the time in a, you know, kind of wider fashion. Um, so I, I'm as, as just a, a someone who loves the game so much and wants to see it grow. I'm so excited that now in 2020 is one of those times where we're seeing the most exponential growth ever. I mean, yeah, you can kind of, as, you can kind of thank code for that in a way. I mean, as tough as it is it. to say, you totally I know. Can, I, think. I mean, if you want to try and take a positive, uh, positive um, situation, positive meditation out of like a, a very negative situation. Uh, I mean, golf is like an escape. Mm. And even for me personally, when, you know, we were really shut down for a month and then, they started opening things up and golf was one of the first things to be opened up. Uh, you know, I mean, I went out there and when I was out on the course and I was with my friends and we were playing, it just, you're in this, you're on this like thousands of acres of land in, in the trees, you're with nature. And the next thing you know, you totally forget that there's a pandemic going on. Mm -hmm. I know we've discussed this before, but, and I think that's what, helped a lot of people that were struggling too because us as human beings you know we're meant to interact with other people we're meant mm -hmm. to we're not meant to be locked up in a in a house i mean that's not what we how we were created i mean we were created to move and and, and interact and i think golf is perfect for that because you go out and especially when during the time where most of the courses if they let anybody on was walking only so then you got a lot of people kind of, now you're getting exercise, you're, you're being with people, you're, mm -hmm. you're outside, you're with nature. And it's just kind of, a, it was more of an escape from a lot of people were getting anxiety and they were just freaking out just mm -hmm. because they're like, I, I don't know what's going to go on. And I'll be honest too. I mean, we don't know. We were laid off for a good three, three, four months. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of time to think and <laughs> Sometimes it it wasn't the best, and it, it, it's like I need to get I need to do something, and and sometimes you you might have to like the golf industry on and grow the game. A part of it might have to thank COVID just a little bit because it opened up 
more doors and for people to try things, try new things just because they were limited to so much. So they said, oh, why don't I try golf? And here you are. Here we are today as we're slowly climbing back to get things going. You got people playing golf left and right. I mean, we're, you got guys booking tee times seven days to 14 days in advance just because you know how fast it's going to mm-hmm. book up. And we've never seen that scenario in the past. As long as I've been alive, 26 years on this earth, I've never seen that problem happen. Uh, it used to be the opposite. When, I, when Isaiah and I were growing up, you know, especially at Mountain View, there were times where the tee sheet was done. You know, it was, it, after the typical morning group went out, by 9.15 in the morning, it was empty. And we were mm-hmm. waiting for people to come in till like 11, 12, 1 o'clock. Now it's vice versa. It's completely opposite. If you don't book it a couple of days in advance, like you said, Dante, you're not getting out on a Sunday, plain and simple. Like it's just not, it's just not happening. And, and that's just so cool to see that, you know, to grow up at a time where it wasn't this busy and to then see it transform into something that's just bustling is an awesome experience to have. And and I'm just, you know, so grateful to just be in the scenario of like, I love this game enough to book it seven days in advance and know where we're at and what we're doing. But it's a cool time to be a part of this sport and to just continually see it grow, even with when Tiger Woods isn't the center of attention and to see it grow for the reasons it should in the fact of what the game is actually for why it's played you're outside all the time like you said Dante it's a release from everything it's just it's awesome to see this game that just means so much to so many begin to have an effect on a greater population than just the hardos the nuts you know the the guys that just live and breathe us exactly (laughs) um yeah yeah. it's a it's a cool thing to see no doubt about it no doubt I mean it's I mean we got guys texting each other left and right because we, we play like a good – I mean, tee times are spread 10 minutes apart, and we get five to six times, and we're texting each other saying – because we want to have consecutive times mm-hmm. when we play our, our week weekend game. So we're texting guys or right after the round. We're saying – because everything's now booked online. So we just have this app that we can go into and just go to the day and then go to the – to see what's available on the T sheet, and next thing you know, we got guys. All right, you grab you and three other people, mm-hmm. just throw them in there, and we'll we'll figure it out down when uh, actual pairings when it comes towards more towards the uh, that day we're actually going to play, just so we can get it on the books. And it's everybody's in a scramble because they're freaking out, thinking someone's going to take that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you never you never did that before. I mean, I sometimes struggle with getting tea times after work. I want to go to the course in between 4.30 and 5.30 just to, you know, play as many holes as I can or just get nine holes in. Half the times I look at it, there's one time available. It's crazy. It makes it's no just, sense. It's, it's absolutely nuts, and it, it, it's nuts in the best way possible. Um, and and it's, it's stuff like this, too, and what I wanted to get into as well, it's stuff like these little mini charity events that people were starting to hold. And I know they're not getting a ton of coverage or, you know, TV time or marketing time, but it's stuff like that. They're changing the way people look at the game. So it's not just these four day long events that, you know, are 72 holes stroke play all 14 clubs. Um, and, and very, you know, I would almost call piss poor coverage. Like we've talked about a million times, but I want to talk about this BMW match play challenge that they're having. It's a seven club. They call it the chick Evans challenge. Um, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, Bryson DeChambeau and Kevin Knott. It seems like, and Dante, you and I have talked about this too, it seems like since COVID 
got the, you know, kind of headliner. When golf picked back up, they started doing these little one day niche, you know, charities to, or charity events to give back to some charities that, you know, they're in that hometown that week. And I think this one's really cool. And it just lets people know that, listen, it doesn't have to be this rigid system in order to play golf. You can loosen it up a little. You can lose clubs. You can carry half a set, still play and still have fun. Um, and, and I want to talk about it. You know, I, like I said, it's a seven club challenge. Colin Morikawa, you know, decided to go with driver hybrid, six iron, eight iron, pitching wedge, 60 degree and a putter. Every one of these guys ended up choosing a putter. And I want to know your guys, Isaiah, I'll start with you. If you had to pick seven clubs and loop it around for nine holes and still think you'd shoot under par, what's your seven? Hmm. I think I'd probably go like driver, four iron, six iron, putter, and then I'd take all three of my wedges. That's aggressive. That's a that's a Phil Mickelson. I I would expect that from a lefty with mm-hmm. some with some gift gifted hands from the gods. Mm-hmm. I, I would expect you to take all wedges. I respect that. Uh, you you know. All right. So three wedges we got on the board for the the big lefty. A four iron, a six iron, a driver, and a putter. Dante, what are you smoking around the uh, the nine hole loop with with a seven club challenge? I'm uh, I'm, I had to write it down just so I can. See it. <laughs> <laughs> I putter. <laughs> um, I'm thinking sandwich, pitching wedge, so, uh, nine iron, six iron. What's that? One, two, three, four, five. You got two more. You got two more sticks. Two hybrid driver. A two hybrid and a driver. Aggressive yeah. play. You're going for you're going for the par fives and two. I like it. I can see it. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I like it. I like it. I mean, I think I think the unanimous decision it seems like between all of us is the driver. You gotta pound driver, because I'm also taking driver. Um and then from there, I'm thinking four iron as well, because I think if I really pound one driver, I could probably finesse a four iron uh, anywhere between like 170 and that 220 that I hit it. And then I think I'm going seven iron because Tim Cup never missed a seven iron. And I agree. I always hit the seven iron well. And that's one of those clubs I feel like I can work. Like if I need to hit like a, you know, a hundred yard cut into, you know, a green, I can, I can hit a seven iron kind of, you know, work the ball wherever I need to. Then I'm taking a putter, and then I'm taking a 60-degree, and then I'm taking my 50-degree, so I can kind of play that. And then I might actually throw – Hybrid. No, I got I got to go – yeah, I got to go another wedge. I guess yeah. I'm throwing three wedges in there too. Damn it. I didn't want to do that. But here we are, and there it is. I, I, cha- I changed my mind. You can't. You're locked in. <laughs> I don't care. You're already, you're already, you already teed off too the bad. first hole. Nope, you, your drive's down the fairway. I did it. It's over. No, it's over. No. You're locked in. I changed in. my mind. I changed my mind. <laughs> Two hybrid, five iron, seven iron, nine iron, pitching wedge, sand wedge, putter. No odd drivers. Numbers. No driver. You went odd numbers. That's not wow. good. Got to go evens. No, even Stevens. 
Uh-huh. I mean, he is a little whacked in the head, Isaiah. So, I mean, odd I numbers mean, make sense. We, we've discussed this already. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is, guys. And, and I want to know your seven iron challenge. I think this is always fun or seven club challenge, I should say. I, this is always fun because people really dive into it and can kind of like mentally screw with themselves. And, and, and I want to hear from the listeners what it is. So, guys, we're going to put a poll out on the, uh, on the Enjoy the Walk pod Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, and hit us up in the comments as well. Let us know your seven iron or seven club challenge picks. Uh, I, we all went with the driver off the bat, and then Dante last minute pulled a 180 and said, nah, I'm going to break it over my knee so I don't take it with me and put it mm-hmm. in the woods. Um, you know, so he went with the two hybrid. But, you know, Isaiah and I kind of went with driver and then three wedges and then some weird things in between. But I want to hear your guys' picks, so let us know. Add Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram. Add Enjoy the Walk Pod on Twitter. Uh, yeah, what's the go-to, guys? I want to know. I want to know from you guys and uh, let us know. So, guys, I think that's just about it. One more thing we wanted to talk on before we get out of the week is the Women's AIG uh, Open at Royal Troon this past week. Uh, we had quite possibly the underdog story for the ages shine through with Sirak Popov uh, taking home the championship uh, Dante, you kind of actually brought this to light to me. I had seen it with a couple write-ups, but nothing like serious. And then to dive into her backstory, I'm going to just throw this out there right off the bat, and then we'll really get into it. She is ranked outside the top 300 in women's golf. She's ranked 304 in the Rolex women's golf rankings. When you talk about professionals that even get into an event that's usually about 120, 140 deep, you're not expecting number 304 to contend, let alone just pretty much wipe away the field the entire week. Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing I guess you can say on a mental standpoint is um, anybody can win in this game. I mean, if you're on for all, all the rounds that you're playing, if nothing, I mean, if, if it's just if it's your week, it's going to be your week. And I think that's one thing you, I get I get pretty good advice on the on this podcast, but I never listen to myself because it just becomes a mess when I tee it up. But that's a different story. <laughs> but I mean, this this she just went at, like through like almost like rock bottom in a way on a golfer standpoint. I mean, it, it, I don't think her game was there. Uh, she was she found out she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. Mm-hmm. On, or, she was undiagnosed for three years with Lyme disease. I mean, she like lost all this weight, you know, so I guess like, you know, maybe her speed or strength wasn't there and she had no idea why and just mentally was about to just flat out quit the game. I mean, right up until the point and goes out and win. It just goes to the show that if, if it's your week and you're on, never doubt yourself. I mean, a perfect example too, she was caddying three weeks before the British Open. When most people, most women, most men who are getting ready for a major championship are not carrying someone else's bag three weeks before a major. They're grinding on their own game. So the (laughs) fact that she was even at that point, I would say three weeks out saying, man, am I really ready for this? Do I want to, you know, approach this major with the intensity that I should? I I feel like three weeks out, she was questioning it. I feel like the day she teed up, she was questioning it until she shot that, the, the leading round of the first day and never looked back. That first day when she put a round together that ended up leading 
and I think she was as surprised as anybody else. It, it, it threw a shot up her veins of confidence to say, holy shit, I'm back. Mm. And that's not much – and every golfer, I should say it this way, every golfer knows that it does not take much confidence to get your confidence back. Mm. And that role in a momentum, especially in a major championship, can go a long way as it did this past week. I mean, how many I'm back texts do you get from people? I mean, it's just one. Not too many when they're playing a major championship. I know yeah. that. <laughs> Let alone a response at all. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's outstanding. I mean, yeah, speechless, really. I'm, it's incredible. It really is. Yeah, it's it's one of those things too, where it's just like you look back at it and you say, like, how? Because like that's the, that's the age, like that's the end all be all is like ultimately how and then like people that you know want to try and answer that are trying to figure that out for themselves because like how did she do what she do and if we can get an answer bottle that up because that's what so many people are looking for is that breakthrough that you know that experience that chance that she ended up pulling through for not only herself but probably her entire quote-unquote camp if she's got one, her family, I would imagine, that has been through, obviously, like with her, all of it. The healths, mm. the highs, the lows. And, and just it, it's, it's something that a movie couldn't even write with her script of, of how much she has been through from almost giving up the game to the health issues, Dante, like you said, battling Lyme's disease. Um, we saw something similar on the men's side with Jimmy Walker when he won the PGA and, and dealing with Lyme's disease and things like that. That's a disease that just completely wipes people out. Um, and, and people don't give a lot of attention to it. Um, it just from an energy standpoint, you can't grind on the game like you want to when you have Lyme's disease. Mm. So, or even uh, look back to Eric Compton having an open heart surgery. I mean, to walk through, you know, any sort of health crisis is, you know, it's difficult enough. And then to throw the pressure of a major or, you know, making ends meet via a career in golf. I think going through a health crisis and especially with, you know, the pandemic that we're seeing or the pandemic that we're seeing, um, it just puts everything back into perspective that, you know, at the end of the day, um, life here is very, very short and we need to make sure that our priorities are in the right place. And we need to make sure that the time that we're spending out on the golf course is not a time where, um, we're finding ourselves angry and utterly disappointed. And, and sometimes it's going to happen. I mean, it's just, that's the nature of golf. You're going to duck hook one into the woods or hit in a bunker when you shouldn't have. And, you know, skull frick the shot over the green make double. It's just, you know, that's, that's life. You know, it's going to throw you curveballs. but being able to focus in the way that she did. And after, you know, stepping off the bag and onto the tee to make those swings, especially coming down the stretch to be able to pull out a win in the way that, she did. That's an incredible story and all the props to her. I hope she keeps going and wins 10 more this year. That'd be incredible. It, it really would. And just to throw her win in perspective of just like worldwide uh, wins for folks, she's the first German to win a, a, a major as a woman. She only joins Martin Keimer and Bernhard Langer as the only other Germans to win a major championship. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just something where it's like, oh yeah, this is like a, you know, fun factory of golfers that Germans are producing. She's one of one women in the entire world that as a German who's ever won a major. And I think that's really cool to note too, because it just, it just puts 
in perspective how truly special winning a major championship is, let alone coming back from the absolute depths of, you know, the deepness and darkness to come through. And it's one of these stories where life, life and the world always seems to find good stories to put in front of us when we need them. And this is one of them. So, uh, Awesome stuff out of her. Awesome stuff out of the AIGA Women's British Open. So I uh, just figured we'd end the podcast on that. Some feel-good stories for a, uh, a woman who's just an absolute treasure to watch play golf and, and could not be happier for her win out there. So, guys, that's it for us this week. Uh, appreciate us having a full studio. This, is, uh, this needs to happen a little more often, boys. And uh, as always, guys, you can go to www.enjoythewalkpod.com to follow all of our blogs, to follow our latest podcast posts and to follow our merch releases we'll do a lot of small batch stuff here coming into the fall winter and up out in the spring as well so stay tuned for that if you guys are interested we have that tyler's golf bag one of one for the fans going out labor day weekend so in about two weeks guys you guys can get your hands on that it'll be up for auction so uh that's going to go it's going to go quick i can guarantee you that so get your hands on that if you want at enjoy the walk pod on instagram we'll be posting all about that over the next few weeks so guys that's it from us this week as always guys get out there carry your clubs and enjoy the walk One shot at a time.